Did you know Shopify doesn't allow more than 100 combinations of options on a product? What? No. Fortunately, there's a solution. Bold Product Options app, the number one options app on Shopify. Tell me more. It allows you to create as many options on products as you want in every type you can imagine. Like what? File uploads, text fields, text areas, radio buttons, checkboxes, color swatches, date pickers, and a couple others I forgot. Wow. Now, not only can it change prices on products, or those options can actually be products too. How so? All right, here's an example. An option could be add the matching hat or add a protective case. And then when customers select it, it actually adds that product in the checkout, increasing your average order value. But I hate long forms. Well, to boost conversions, Bold's conditional logic feature lets you show or hide options based off of what customers pick. For example, if you select custom engraving, then we only want to show the custom engraving text field after they've checked that box. Okay, where can I get it? If you need sophisticated options or just more than the standard 100 variant limit, this is the app you need. Right now, Bold is offering listeners of the unofficial Shopify podcast their product options app free for two months. Just go to kurtelster.com slash bold to install it and get your exclusive offer. That's kurtelster.com slash bold. I'm heading there now. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You already know the benefits of SEO. The higher you rank in search, the more visitors you get, and more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do it? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines more easily, and it's trusted by thousands of store owners. No surprise there, it's equal parts power, innovation, and ease of use. Think of SEO Manager as your optimization toolbox. Here's some examples. It can scan your site for issues, offer keyword suggestions, add structured data support, analyze missing pages and redirects, and even integrate with Kit plus a ton more tools to help you be easily found in Google searches. Best of all, it's easy to get started. You can get started in minutes, and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Seriously, I have met them. They are the best. And as a special offer to you, you can get 10% off SEO Manager forever when you sign up at seomanager.com slash unofficial. That's seomanager.com slash unofficial. One recurring question I hear a lot is, hey, Kurt, what's the in and outs of affiliate marketing? Should I do an affiliate marketing program? How do I make it successful? And the answer is, I really don't know. Affiliate marketing is such a black box for me. I know it can work. I know I've been an affiliate. I've been on on the receiving end of affiliate payments and it's been successful, but certainly not, not all affiliate programs take off. And so I wanted to talk to someone today who has a successful affiliate program, who also had to figure it out on his own as he went, and was able to work through it and build this successful program. So joining me today is a uh, is Jack Meredith from a brand you may have heard of, Kettle and Fire. Oh my gosh, Kettle and Fire. This is a big deal. They are, they've been around on Shopify a while. They have been unavoidable. And if you walk through Whole Foods, you'll see them on the shelf. Um, but I think a DTC brand at heart, uh, Mr. Mr. Jack Meredith, you are the VP of marketing at Kettle and Fire, right? That is correct. And... Please define for me what in the heck is Kettle and Fire? What do you sell? Yeah, so we make 
bone broth and bone broth based soups. So we're definitely playing in the health and wellness space. Um, and you know, the reason why we started the company is because, uh, with big food, there's just a lot of crap out there. Um, and it's really hard to eat healthy and do it in a convenient and easy way. And so with our products, we set out to accomplish that, um, to where you can maintain your diet, uh, reach your health goals, but also enjoy it just so you're not eating the same boring foods over and over and over again. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I have here that you are employee number one and that, uh, Kettle and Fire is an eight figure brand now. How, when did you start? That would have been 2014 officially, but I don't think, I mean, we weren't really like an actual DTC brand, I'd say until like 2015, 2016, because that first year we were just trying to figure out all the production stuff and actually have a product that we could sell. Uh, but yeah, it's been a pretty wild ride from going to zero to where we are today. I'll say. Uh, so you've been at this five, six years. Did was did you have a ton of e-commerce experience when you jumped into this, building this eight-figure DTC brand? I had zero experience whatsoever. What? Yeah. So this has just been like total trial by fire. Oh, the first two years, definitely trial by fire because no one on our team had any e-commerce experience. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we were just doing it as we went. Um, and a lot of learnings. Do you sure. think that helped or hurt? Because like you, going into it, you have no preconceived ideas. Mm-hmm. And I think so. Like you don't have those biases. So I think maybe there's some benefit to going in uh, eyes open. Yeah, when I look back and reflect on where we were at the time, I'm actually, I'm actually aligned with how you're thinking about it. Like, I do feel like because we didn't have like conventional wisdom guiding us in a certain direction, we were kind of just molding what we wanted to do from scratch. And I think that allowed us to maybe seek opportunities or do things in different ways than if we were given like a playbook on like how to grow like a DTC brand. So I, I do think it's it helped, but. I mean, the, the downside is that, like, we had to learn all this stuff on the fly, and that was uh, a little painful. <laughs> what uh, what do you think was, like, one of those, before we jump to the affiliate marketing, I just thought this is so fascinating, because Kettle and Fire, like, when you, on the outside looking in, you see this big eight-figure brand and, like, this amazing trajectory, and you're on, you know, store shelves and national retail chains, and from the outside looking in, it's easy to say, like, wow, that's good for them. They're, like, way smarter than me, and I could never do that. And then you hear, oh, employee number one just, like, was like, well, we'll figure this out as we go. And that, that's very, uh, it's liberating and freeing to hear that. Um, but what was some of the stuff, like, early on that you guys, you struggled with trying to figure out? Oh, man. So when we initially launched, we actually weren't on Shopify. We were on a company called uh, Symphony Commerce. I don't know if you've okay. heard of them. I don't know if they're still around. Um, it was like an open source. Yeah, they, they're they're right? kind of they're like value prop was like we're going to be like this turnkey solution that's going to handle like not only your e-commerce but your fulfillment and everything else. And so it sounded really good on paper, but um, yeah, it, they were just early and they're trying to take on a lot at once. Uh, so that was a very rough experience for us, um, just because we were, we we just didn't have the functionality that. Shopify and some of these other e-commerce platforms had. So uh, it just forced us to really spend way too much time figuring all that stuff out on the tech side. Um, so that was really frustrating, and I wouldn't recommend doing that. Go Shopify. Just just choose Shopify. That's what I tell people when they ask me. Um, boom. What uh, <laughs> what was what, the, the straw that broke the camel's back where you went, like, look, we got to get off this thing and go elsewhere, and we hear Shopify's good? Oh, man. So, like, we... We were 
because of like this platform's uh, limitations, we were like we built like this Frankenstein like landing page funnel to where we would like track orders, push them into like a spreadsheet, and then like we had like a virtual assistant like plug them into like our platform, and it was like this big oh, like convoluted way to like get sales going, and it was such a mess. Um, and I can't, I mean, it was like, this was so far back. I can't remember the specifics, but I just remember like having PTSD knowing like, okay, we're like basically like in the stone age trying to like run an econ business. Like it was just like messy, very messy. You know, yeah. Early on, like you do, you just, you bandaid together whatever you need to make work to validate the idea and drive the business. But then at the same time, you also know full well, like, well, this is a giant liability that has to get fixed. And so you lay away, and then as you get more successful with your your total kludge hacky setup, you're you're like, wow! Instead of being thrilled that you're successful, you're freaking out because you're like, oh man, the bigger this thing gets, the more likely it's gonna the wheels are gonna come off. And so I could see where having that um, that that creates urgency very quickly. We're like, look, we need to get to something reliable that we're not gonna be up all night worrying about. Yeah, and I feel like at each phase of our growth, it's created new set of like challenges and so now i mean there's we still have our problems that we're working through but i think we've always been resilient and haven't let us let haven't let it affect like our emotions to where it like really affects our decision making and how we operate so yeah it's just been kind of just pushing against uh pushing up that like snowball up the hill to gain keep gaining that momentum um right it sounds like you, you take a very pragmatic approach to it. When does affiliate marketing come into play here over our, what, five, our six-year journey? Yeah. So that was actually like the bit, the first big acquisition channel for us, which seems to be oh, really? pretty unique because uh, I think most DTC brands now, it's you start with like Facebook ads or SEM. Um, but yeah, I mean, like when we got going on e-com, um, we were trying to understand like where can we put most of our effort and see if we can start scaling and driving new customer acquisition. And uh, at the time we had, we had like raised like a seed round, but we didn't fall in with a bunch of money in the bank to, to blow uh, on a budget. So we had to be thoughtful about where we were spending our cash and time. And affiliate was particularly interesting for us because we were in this health and wellness space and what we kind of realized what there, that there was a lot of these, thought leaders in that space to where they had these massive audiences and they were very believable in terms of what they were saying and what products that they were using. And so that kind of gave us hope that we could maybe tackle this channel and see how it would work. And uh, yeah, pretty early on we had a, we would start getting pretty strong signals and that that's kind of what led us down this path to where we were double, doubling down and really scaling the program to, to what it is today. Yeah, I don't know that I've necessarily I don't think we hear from a ton of brands who say, hey, our big first acquisition channel was affiliate marketing. Though we may be going back to that because, you know, cost of customer acquisition keeps going up. And that's, you know, starting to become the big struggle for uh, new brand launches. And so, you know, something like Facebook ads or even Google AdWords is getting less attractive. And these alternatives like affiliate marketing um, are, are coming back into vogue and looking more attractive again. So... Early on, you were looking at the space and saying, all right, we've got, there are definitely, there are authorities here, there are influencers, they seem authentic, but how do you, there are also many, so how do you identify 
those folks and then, you know, qualify them? How do you know who are the right people to try and work with? Yeah. And I think this is a, we've definitely evolved in our thinking on this over the years as we've learned more about this space. But what I try to do is really pre-qualify people. So we only, we're only talking to folks that we feel really, really strongly about working with. Um, so there's, I think, some quantitative parameters and qualitative parameters. So on like the quant side, based on where this partner's uh, following is, whether it's on like an email list or social, we have our own internal metrics to evaluate them based on like their follower count or their engagement rate. Um, you know, what does their audience look like? If they're, you know, a bunch of young kids, they're probably not going to be a good fit for our brand, um, gender, all that stuff. Um, and then on the qualitative side, what we really try to dissect is like, can we, could we see this person pr- like promoting and recommending our product in a believable way? Uh, because if, if, if you work with a partner that's just, you know, trying to do like a cash, cash grab and shoving random products down consumers' throats, then it's, it's probably not going to work that well. Um, so we wanted to make sure that they were bought into what we were doing and that they actually loved the products because I think the other important thing with affiliate marketing is that you really want that partner to talk from their experience because that's how their audience is typically interacting with them. That's why they're following them, right? It's because they have this unique experience and they're and they're talking about things that they know a lot about. So we'll always give them uh, you know guidelines to help with like creative, but we really want them to speak from what they did with the product and how they consumed it and what they enjoyed about it. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of different factors that we look at and ultimately what that allows us to do is really zero in our focus on the few partners that we think can really drive the needle versus trying to just like blast out like outreach to like a thousand people, right? Because we've, we've done that and it just gets really taxing to like even keep on top of all the those types of conversations. Okay, so it sounds like number one lesson here is quality over quantity. And mm-hmm. you've got a, a red velvet rope policy where it's like, okay, we're on, we only want to work with like the really engaged uh, influencers who believe in, like genuinely are interested in what we're doing. Um, are there any tools, uh, like social media tools, analysis tools uh, that you use to identify this stuff? Or is it just like, let's look at some people and plug stuff into a spreadsheet? Yeah, it's a it's a mix of both. Um, a couple of tools that I really like. There's this one tool called uh, Dovetail, and um, Dovetail. Yeah, D O V E T A L E, I think. Um, but what I like about that platform is that they're they're able to scrape all these you know Instagram influencers, YouTube, all these different channels, and provide um, those metrics that we were just talking about, like their engagement rate and uh, follower size. So I think that's a good one. Uh, and it, it really takes out a lot of the manual work of like trying to you know look up these folks, uh, on the internet and, you know, data entry, all that. Um, so that's, right. a, that's a good tool. I also like spark Toro, um, which ran Fishkin. If you're familiar with him, he launched that like he, a couple years ago. He was an early guest on this podcast oh, and no he was uh, to- an absolute gentleman and totally put up with me being a fangirl. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, it's, he, so they launched that like two years ago and it's, there's a lot of similarities to Dovetail, but um, I think the neat thing about that is like, you basically can plug in like, okay, let's say you're a keto brand. And so you'll say, I want to find people that talk about keto. And what it spits out is 
um, like a bunch of different types of partners or, or influencers that are talking about that topic um, across like all these different channels like podcasts, YouTube, Instagram. Um, so yeah, that, those are two that we like. Uh, there's another one called Magellan that's more for podcasts. So it, it uses AI to basically like scrape all the ad reads for like every single podcast. Whoa, and, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, and so the neat thing about that and how we would use in the past is not only define like what are like the podcasts and like the different verticals that we want to look at and partnering with, but we can also, since it's scraping all the ad reads, we can say like, okay, we have this competitor in our space that's doing a lot of podcast ads. Let's figure out who they're, you know, doing their ad reads with and then reach out to them. So there's a lot of cool stuff that you can do there too. That's, that's pretty clever. Uh, what was the, the Rand Fishkin one called? Uh, Spark Toro. Spark Toro. Okay. Okay. So once you've got, you've identified your list and you've narrowed it down, how do you approach these people? Like, how do you reach out? What's the pitch look like? Yeah. That's because uh, I've been on the receiving end of mostly awful pitches. So I, I want to hear what a good one sounds like. Um, so, I mean, the, the cheat code that we always try first is like, how can we get a warm intro to this person? Right. Um, and luckily with partnerships, once you start building these relationships in these different niches, you find that everyone knows everyone. Um, so it's easier to kind of navigate that. Um, but yeah, from a pitch standpoint, man, it's, it, it's it's tricky because I feel like you have to be very very assertive and 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 not be uh, you know let down if, if someone doesn't reply after like your first or second email. So um, we you know, we we try to just I mean our objective with like the pitches is to like tell tell folks about who we are, why we think they're awesome, how we think we could potentially work together, but not to like just sell them on like the whole enchilada right in the email. Um, like we just want to get them on the phone and talk to them and see how we could maybe work together. And it's not, we're not trying to sell them anything, which I think helps with these types of conversations. It's more of like, how can we jointly come together and crush it, make you some money, make us some money, um, have you get to enjoy a bunch of free products from Kettle and Fire. So uh, we try to make it kind of like a mutual opportunity and um, yeah, test from there. And we all, we do like a lot of crazy stuff too. Like we won't just like do cold email sequences. We'll We'll DM them. There's been times where we we like were looking at a influencer that we really wanted to work with, and we saw that she like really liked like Converse shoes, so we like bought her like a custom pair of Converse shoes and sent to her. Like you have to kind of like do all that That's, stuff. You're definitely moving outside the box. Yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, because you have to get their uh, attention and stand out. Because especially now, like all these brands are, you know, working with influencers and saying the same things. So like, how can you really? cut through all that noise. Um, and yeah, because most pitch emails that people send out, it's like, clearly, this is a template email. It's like, I liked podcast title, where you talked about podcast title. Like, what the heck? Yeah. To delete. Yeah, like, think about, like, I, I try always to think about, like, okay, if I can put myself in their shoes, what's going to get them excited or interested, right? And, like, you know, maybe they just launched, like, a cookbook. Could I, could I go and buy, like, 50 copies of that cookbook um, and like send them a note saying like, Hey, by the way, uh, we bought 50 copies. We love what you're doing, blah, blah, blah. Like doing stuff like that, I think can really help start that conversation. You know, the, those two examples, I think the, where you said like, Hey, we sent this influencer, uh, custom shoes because we know she liked Converse. Hey, we, we bought this influencer, 50 copies of this influencer's book because we liked it. And what you're doing there is you're, you're for the influencer, you're putting your money where your mouth is. You are saying to them, hey, we're paying attention genuinely and we're serious. Mm -hmm. And I think that's 
um, the magic there. And stuff like that, like, yeah, it doesn't scale. It also doesn't have to. You just don't, when you're going for this quality over quantity approach, you just don't need that many. Um, so it works. And uh, sometimes it's important to do things that don't scale anyway. Completely. Yeah. I feel like that's, um, you know, you have to get those like initial insights and learnings to, you know, even get to that point where you're talking to dozens and dozens of people at a time. And um, yeah, like you're writing the money too. Like at the end of the day, what we found is that we don't need to have a army of a hundred thousand influencers promoting our brand. Um, That's just daunting and it's impossible to manage. We only need like a, a good stable of folks that we can really rely on and work with on a long-term basis to push the needle. So what would be, what range would you recommend to someone like, okay, like obviously get the first one, but like here beyond this number, it really is not practical. And like, here's kind of the sweet spot you would look for. Yeah. So it's definitely dependent on channel. Right. Um, but like if I was to do like a broad strokes range, so like for us, we'll typically, not work with any partner like on Instagram that has under like a hundred thousand followers. Um, there's, there's some exceptions for sure, but we know just based on historical metrics that, um, under that amount, we're probably not going to see like material revenue from a performance standpoint. So that's not, that doesn't mean that. So are might no micro influencers for kettle and fire. Not, not for the affiliate side of the business. So, okay. so like for like ambassador and, and all ah. that good stuff, we'll, we'll totally work with them on that. So an important distinction there. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that's like something that was early on. We'd always get tied up with is, is, you know, what is affiliate and like performance partnerships versus what is like an ambassador program. And I think they're two very different things. Um, well, Rena, you brought up a, a, an important distinction. Um, run me through it quickly. Yeah. So when I when I think about like an ambassador or like a, a seeding program, which is another term for it, I'm, I look at it as more of like kind of like an awareness type channel to where you're working with a bunch of smaller micro influencers that have, um, you know, fairly small followings and you're sending them free product, but you're not typically you're not paying a lot of out of pocket because of their audience size. And you're just trying to drive that awareness so that you can essentially be everywhere to someone that's on the internet or on Instagram, right? Because they're gonna see all these different influencers promoting your stuff. Um, Whereas with like affiliate marketing, or we like to call it internally like performance partnerships, like we're in the business of working with partners that are are going to drive like material revenue. And to do that, we only have to work with folks that have like very sizable audiences that are super engaged and that they really know how to um, recommend and sell products and tell a story. So that's, that's how we kind of delineate between the two. Hey, I got a question. How can you increase your Shopify sales by 10 to 15%? You could try standing on the corner with a megaphone. Hey, you in the denim jacket. What's your credit card number? I got some stuff you could buy. Or you could just use Zipify one-click upsell. Created by the owner of a $100 million e-commerce store and trusted by over 8,100 Shopify merchants, one-click upsell helps you boost your average order value with targeted upsells and cross-sells. You can make pre-purchase upsells from the shopping cart, or you can make post-purchase upsells immediately after a customer completes their order. And with mobile-optimized offer pages that drive sky-high conversions and built-in split testing for maximizing your results, it's no wonder one-click upsell has made its users an extra $139 million in sales. 
It only takes a few minutes to install the app, launch your first upsell, and start generating 10 to 15% more revenue overnight. To start your free 30-day trial, go to zipify.com slash Kurt. That's Z-I-P-I-F-Y dot com slash Kurt. And to get an unadvertised gift, email help at zipify.com and ask them for the Tech Nasty bonus. Tech Nasty. Okay, back to the show. What were we discussing? Okay, on... We know how we identify our influencers. We know what kind of person we're looking for. We know how to to get in touch with them. And you're right, warm intro is the way to go. If not, you got to do something outside the box to get their attention. Because you, it's signal versus noise. There's so many guarantee that person is buried in stupid requests. So you got to mm-hmm. rise above that. Um, what's the what is sane compensation look like? You said like, hey. I don't want, you know, I'm not going to waste my time with an influencer on Instagram under a hundred thousand, uh, you know, and we're doing these big things to get their attention, but what's that, what would be a, a typical and proper compensation to offer someone where they're not going to laugh at me, but I'm also not going to get fleeced. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's always a delicate, uh, situation. So what we try to do is, is explain like what we want to do with them. Like, so we'll lay out like, Hey, like let's say we're working with like an Instagram influencer. It's like, hey, we want to do like a couple like IG stories and maybe like a post. For something like this, how do you typically like think about pricing and charge for it? Because we want to hear from them first how they're, you know, valuing their skills or whatever you want to call it. Um, and that kind of gives us a starting point to where we'll work with them, um, and it can go down a couple paths. Like if we feel that rate matches with our expectations, then it's like, okay, let's give this a shot. If we feel like it's too high based on like our internal funnel calculators that we have, then um, we'll come back with them to see if we can kind of meet more in the middle. And the thing that we we do a lot now is we do these hybrid deals to where it's like a mix of like commissions and an upfront fee, because what we've noticed over time is that a lot of partners and influencers, especially in the health and wellness space, like in the early days, they be willing to work off of just like straight commissions all the time. And it was great uh, because, you know, it, it really helped with managing your budget and, and forecasting what you're you're going to be, you know, paying every month. But as this space is really blown up, they can command, uh, you know, flat sponsorship fees. And typically an influencer wants to do that because it ensures that they're getting paid. Whereas with commissions, they're only getting paid when they make us money. Um, so, we understand the reasoning for them not wanting to do like straight commissions, but what we try to do is say, "Hey, we'll pay we'll pay you like uh, a portion of your upfront fee that you want, but then we'll also pay you like twenty percent commission on each sale." And it's kind of a nice way to meet in the middle, to where they're still getting, uh, you know, paid for just promoting. So there's not as much risk there, and there's also not as much risk on our side because we're. Uh, you know, not paying as much on the on the flat fee part, and, and we have that commission structure on the back end. So you start with you start with the deliverables. Like once you've got the relationship going, it's like all right, now let's let's brass tacks. Let's talk about what we're doing here. Um, you're you approach them with hey, this these are the deliverables, and that might look something like we need uh, three story we need three stories consecutive you know showing how the product works face to camera and you know we need two posts um what would that what would we expect to pay for something like that Mm -hmm. like so that's how you you go to them and then they come back with well here's our rates like this is you're gonna pay me cash 
plus product yeah. and I'll we're, we'll I'll do those posts for you. And then based on and it's probably a little different for everybody, but you because you've been doing this a while and you know, you know what cost of goods sold is and your profitability, you go back to them and say, "Okay, to you know, to make it equitable for both sides to to defang it, to take the risk out of it on both sides." You say, "Look, we understand you need, you want the the money up front, so we'll give you partial payment. You know, maybe that's 20%, 40%, I don't know. And then we'll pay you a commission, a percentage on your sales. What would be like a, a standard range for that commission? And obviously, like, it depends on the product. Like, drop shippers, it's going to be a lot smaller than someone doing their own manufacturer sure. versus private label. But give me a range. Yeah. So I think, like, if you were to look at other brands right now, I typically ballpark like 10 to 20, 25%. Um, but I think where it gets really interesting is when you get more aggressive with that. Um, like if you're, if you really know your uh, funnel metrics cold and you're willing to maybe just break even on each sale, like the higher like commission that you can give, that's only gonna get people more interested and excited about what you're doing. Um, because once you get like a partner to start promoting, um, and they're making good money on the commission side. What what you what we've seen is like they'll they'll start promoting just on their own. Like it's not like they'll, they'll come to us every time and be like, okay, let's do another couple posts, sign this contract, because they know like, oh shit, I can just you know promote this product tomorrow on my to my Instagram fans and you know make a extra whatever dollar amount. And um, so that's that's kind of how I think about it. Is like what can we do to get that. Uh, person excited about the commission piece because if you're if you're like AOV is like thirty bucks and you're offering like a ten percent commission, it's going to be really hard yeah. for them to make like material revenue. Um, right? They're like, oh, well, three bucks per sale <laughs> for me to like to promote this stuff. All right, that'll work out to thirty bucks per post. Like, yeah, you can see where it, it it's so dependent on what the product is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, but I mean, like anything, we also do stuff to get them excited about the commission part. Like uh, we'll say, you know, if you promote us this week, we'll, we're going to pay you out within 24 hours, which is like typically unheard of for affiliate marketing, just because um, you you usually want to wait to make sure that like customers aren't canceling their orders, right? So you're, you're right. not paying yeah, commissions. You pay out on orders that then don't materialize potentially. Yeah, exactly. But we calculate the risk and we were like well we know that people want to get paid like that's obviously like something that's gonna get people excited so we'll take the hit on whatever cancellations if it means we can ensure that this big partner is going to promote us this week um and you know being a uh, a manufacturer you're controlling the the production it's probably it's easier for you because you know like yeah we're going to have this product and we're confident in our our return or refund rate is you know uh, it is fairly low or low enough where we don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Um, so it certainly helps. You want to remove all points of friction. So how, because your experience with this, how do you make it as easy as possible for that influencer to promote? Obviously, those early payouts help for sure. Mm -hmm. That hybrid model, I think, helps. Is there anything else? Yeah. Yeah. So like when we when we were tackling this channel, and, I, and this goes back to what we were talking about like earlier in the conversation about not knowing shit about e-commerce at the time. Um, I was like, just kind of trying to wrap my head around affiliate marketing. And so we were looking at all these brands that were, that had like an affiliate program. And like the one thing that I consistently noticed was that all these brands would just have a really long application form and 
you would fill it out and then they would say, okay, here's like a couple banner images, have at it. And like, that was it. And I was like, wow, how is any like type of partner going to be successful on an affiliate program if there's, there's no like playbook to, to do it, right? So what we did really early on is like, let's try to create this VIP experience to where every person that we get on our program, they know exactly what to promote, where to find the information. Um, and that way we could make it as easy for them to apply, to promote, to make commissions. And so one thing that I always harp on is like building out like a really solid like partner toolkit and like a G drive folder to where you have like email swipes, um, landing page examples, uh, examples from like past partners to give them inspiration on how they can promote. Um, it's almost like this little toolkit to where they can go in and find anything that they need to ensure that they can successfully promote and make commissions. I, this is the thing that people need to pay attention to. Like this is the magic moment. You just gave us the money and it's build out a, a kit of resources, a swipe file of past successes of stuff, you know, works from your own marketing to give to the ambassadors. If you give them resources and starting points, that's like here, copy and paste this go from here. It makes it so much more likely that they'll take a chance on it. Then when they see, oh my gosh, it works. And my audience responded to it. And I made a little bit of essentially passive income from it. They're going to want to do it again and again. And so having that, those resources, I think that is like just the magic money moment here. Oh yeah. Yeah. And like, we'll even go a step further. Like if we really want to work with a partner and they've been kind of dragging their feet, like we'll get our creative team to like literally like just build out like an email swipe that we thought we think that they would talk to their audience about and like co-brand a landing page to where, and then we package it all together, send it to them. And then from their perspective, it's like, damn, they, these guys did like all the work for me. I literally just have to like copy and paste and click send. Like, how can I say no to that? So that's, that's always what we're trying to think about is like, how can we make it as easy as possible for them to promote? No, absolutely. Um, so we talked to, I heard Instagram mentioned a lot as our, our keyword channel here. Um, you mentioned podcasts. What are the channels that you're looking at that you're excited about? What channels should we be trying to find uh, influencers on? Yeah. Um, so for us, I think like our top three are uh, email newsletters, Instagram influencers, and uh, YouTube influencers. Those are probably like our top three. Um, email newsletters are great just because uh, – you can get like a hundred percent share of voice. Like if they send a dedicated email, that's talking about just your brand and why they love it. That's so money. Um, though it's a little bit harder to do dedicated emails than it was back in the day. Um, and with Instagram influencers, I think you just really have to have all your internal like pre-qualifying metrics down pat because you can get burned. Like you hear all those horror stories For about sure. someone overpaying and it didn't work out. Um, but I still think that it can definitely be leveraged from a performance standpoint. Um, and then YouTube's great just because you have this long tail, right? Where you don't have it as much with these other channels to where you could, you know, work with a, a, a big time person in like the health and wellness space and have them put together like this great educational video about your product and do all the on video SEO stuff to ensure that it starts ranking for that keyword. And that's great because it's like just evergreen and you can just keep earning revenue over time. They can keep earning commissions if you have like an affiliate relationship with them. So that's one I really like as well. Uh, and 
you do you do some consulting, don't you? Yeah, a bit on the side. Yeah. Because I'm looking at DTCplaybooks.com. Oh yeah. And I see your face on it, <laughs> and I see I see some uh, some other familiar faces on here from the from DTC Twitter. What this looks very interesting. What is DTC Playbooks? Yeah, so um, you know, myself and uh, my co- former coworker Wilson, we've always been like obsessed with like learning and like picking up new tactics and trying to understand the mechanics of different channels and how things work. And over time, we've learned a ton, but it was also like you know trial by fire, right? Because we we're figuring stuff out on, on our own. So we thought like, what if we could kind of compact all the information that we've gained and all the mistakes that we've made in the past and share that in like a digestible format with, with folks that are trying to get into e-commerce or DTC. Um, and so from that, we're starting to build out like these little mini courses or templates that we've used in the past for Kettle and Fire or with other brands that we've worked with to basically give that playbook to someone and they don't have to go through all the trial and error that we had to. Um, because I wish back four years ago that like, while it was, it was good that I wasn't like, you know, had conventional wisdom right in the back of my head, it still would have been nice to have like a, a manual on how to like navigate some of these channels. Um, so that's what we're trying to provide. Just hearing the phrase, Hey, here's, here's SOPs, here's standard operating procedures used by e-commerce DTC brands, you know, and love immediately gets me excited. And I see there is one in here, Performance Partnerships Playbook. That looks very interesting. Using VAs, validating new product ideas, inventory forecasting. I have no idea, and people ask me that one a lot. Uh, yeah, no, this, this is a, I did not look through this thing until just now, and I'm thrilled. <laughs> I'm into it. Cool. Um, okay, I want to ask you some lightning round questions. Okay, in your, your everyday... What is some of the stuff you're doing that you wish you could automate? Just get it off your plate. Meetings, phone calls, number one. Oh, I know. Have you read um, Work Without Email by Cal Newport? I've not read that one. I read Deep Work by Cal Newport, which I thought was great. Deep Work is great. Uh, This is a a similar concept, but yeah, it's very, like, the premise is Work Without Email, but it's similar to Deep Work and, like, let's rethink uh, how we're approaching meetings. So like one of their suggestions is no email, no meetings till noon, just in the morning. That's when you're freshest. You just work on your stuff. Totally. That makes a lot of sense. All right. What's one thing that you see DTC brands doing online that they clearly, they think this is a good move. makes them look cool. But when you see it, you roll your eyes. You think it's ridiculous. Like what's the, the trend you wish would go away? I don't think social media is worth as much time as folks think it is. Um, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, like, we we underinvested like crazy at Kettle and Fire with social media. Like, we didn't do we didn't we never we just hired like a full time social media manager and started investing more on the brand marketing side. But in those early stages where like growth is like kind of like number one, right? You're trying to just continue to scale and scale. I looked at like what all the things that we had to do, and I was like, okay, we, we can't do everything. And so what areas do we do we need to cut or not pay as much attention to? And I think at that point in time, like social media was definitely up there. You said that so casually, and yet that is a really a big stumbling block for a lot of brands, especially early on or entrepreneurs, where they try to do everything. And then, of course, they end up spinning their wheels and getting nowhere and being burnt out. 
and you being able to recognize, well, these are the ROI generating activities. Here's where we can get our results. Um, here's where we're going to see revenue. And that I think is, is probably a superpower and maybe a skill you weren't aware you had, <laughs> but it's tremendously powerful to be able to do that. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I think like it's hard to make those decisions too, because you always have like what you're supposed to be doing. Like it, it sounds crazy to not even have like a, like a dedicated Instagram page or like a Twitter account or whatever. But uh, I think people kind of overestimate how much people don't give a shit about stuff like that. Like they don't really care about your brand and if it's on Instagram or if it's on Twitter or whatever, they care about like what the product's going to do for them. And that's kind of what we try to laser focus on in, in the early stages. <clears throat> yeah, I think people like want, they, they see, you know, Wendy's and their sassy tweets and they want to be like that and have that brand voice. Yeah. But what they're failing to realize is, you know, Wendy's has a drive-through in every city in America. So their sole goal is just to remind you that they exist and stay top of mind. Mm -hmm. That's it. And so they're just going to be sassy on Twitter and hope it gets like screenshotted somewhere. And that's why they're doing it. If you're just like some brand, eh, it's not going to play out the same same way for you. Yeah, there's a time and place uh, for everything. I think. I think it's based on like where you are as a company. Yeah, yeah, it's not the same for everybody for sure. All right, final one. In e-commerce, what is something you hate but wish you loved? I wish I loved like, budgeting and media planning stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, I'm, I'm, I'm not the like expert at numbers and spreadsheets and everything. And, um, it's, I think at the phase that we're in, especially it's such a critical piece to the business, but I like, uh, I mean, what gets me excited is, is doing all the creative and, um, understanding where the new opportunities are and, and just getting new exposure to, to different types of things. Um, but the budget piece is incredibly important. I just wish, uh, wish I loved it more, for sure. Uh, and final question, where could people learn more about Jack Meredith of Kettle and Fire? Yeah, so um, I have a little website. It's uh, jackmer.com. Um, I don't really post that much on there, but I'm also on Twitter. I think it's at, at jvmeredith. And uh, yeah, if any questions, thoughts, I'm always happy to help. So feel free to DM me or contact me. Wonderful. And on, I see you've got it on DTC Playbooks. You've got an offer for us. Use code Kurt20 to get 20% off your order. That's correct. All right. Excellent. Uh, Jack, this has been fabulous and enlightening. And I thank you for joining us. Thanks. Appreciate it. E-commerce sales are at an all-time high. So if you've been waiting for the quote-unquote right time to launch your online store, here is your sign. Yes, you've got to launch it now. In 2021, success in e-commerce is going to depend on whether or not you provide an amazing customer experience. And Out of the Sandbox has a 10-year track record of delivering excellent customer experiences by building premium Shopify themes that look and work amazingly well. And that helps merchants make more money. So their best-selling theme, Turbo, fully loaded, easily accommodates high-volume large catalog shops or small shops looking for premium performance because it is just that flexible. It is arguably the fastest theme on the market with speed settings that you could control and customization settings that free themes just can't compete with. For 20% off Turbo, visit outofthesandbox.com unofficial and use promo code KURT20 at checkout. Try the new theme for two weeks 
And if you don't like it, they will give you your money back. How's that for a risk reversal guarantee? That's outofthesandbox.com slash unofficial. Promo code KURT20 for 20% off turbo and a 14-day money-back guarantee. If you'd like to help us spread the joy of entrepreneurship, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. If you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe up over the cover art of this podcast. You'll find some episode notes, including links to sites we discussed, and maybe some details you missed. You'll also find offers from our sponsors, so please support our show by supporting them. And thank you. The unofficial Shopify podcast was recorded and hosted by me, Kurt Elster, produced by my business partner, Paul Rita, for our Shopify partner agency, EtherCycle. Check us out at EtherCycle.com. Thanks for listening.